A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. How do we make data contracts easy, scalable, and meaningful? Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Ananth Pakaldurai, the author of the Data Engineering Weekly Newsletter and the creator of Schemata. Personal note on this, we discussed Schemata quite a bit in this episode, but it's an open source offering that I think can fill in some of the major gaps in our tooling and even ways of working collaboratively around data. So I wanted to have Ananth on. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Ananth's point of view. Number one, very important. Collaboration around data is crucial. The best way to get people bought in on collaboration around data is to integrate it into their workflow, not to create yet another one-off tool in yet another pane of glass. This is something I've talked about a lot too, of we need to put things into people's workflows and not make it so difficult and have everything in data be about moving from tool to tool instead of having an interface. Number two, potentially controversial. There is so much friction between initial data producers, you know, the domain developers, and data consumers because they are constantly speaking past each other. The data consumers have to learn too much about the domain, and the data producers rarely really understand the concept of most or the context of most analytical asks. Number three, data creation is a human in the loop problem. Autonomous data creation is not likely to create significant value because the systems can't understand the context well enough right now. Will they ever be able to? Eh, We'll see. Number four, as Jumak has also pointed out, there is far too much tool fragmentation. It made sense with 
you know, lots of VC money available and finding how to approach things with cloud. But we need holistic approaches, not spot approaches, right, to things like data quality, observability, lineage, et cetera. We can't just keep having everything in one individual tool that then we have to integrate into each other, and that creates all its own complications. Number five, uh, like I said, this is an open source product, but Schemata was created to enforce certain rules in a cooperative platform around data sharing specific to data schemas to help alleviate much of the above mentioned friction. So it's something that I I saw pretty early and I think it's something that people should at least look at whether they wanna use that or they wanna use something else. But to start to say like, what are we actually trying to do in collaboration and, and in building data contracts and things like that? Number six, Data needs to really take a lot of learning from the platform engineering for microservices space. They make it easy for teams to test new services or changes and deploy, et cetera. In data, we are asking domains to own their data without giving them the tooling to easily do so. It's too much of an ask. And you know, my note on that is preach. Number seven, another potentially controversial in general, we need better ways to share about what data is already available and what data we expect. This is where data contracts as a platform instead of tooling only becomes important. Think about what we're trying to actually accomplish with data, data contracts and that you have it at a platform level instead of individual uh, contracts. So here's one that's just for me, controversial note. Many get data contracts woefully wrong. You know, there's a Mesh Musings on this, right? Mesh Musings 43. Data contracts aren't about only the contract. They signify a relationship that has contractual terms. But think about a vendor. If your only interaction with that vendor, your only communication, the set of expectations, is, is it the contract or is it part of the relationship with strong guarantees but it's not that the contract is the point. It's the relationship. It's it's using their product. That's important. Really think about that, right? Should we be doing the same thing with data contracts? Number nine, consumer-driven data contract testing is important. It is defensive in a way. If my upstream changes, I don't necessarily want to consume from it. But consumer-driven testing can also be a great part of the conversation around how consumers are actually using the data. It's a programmatic way to describe usage to producers. Personal note, if we can make consumer-driven testing easy, great, but we need to reduce the burden on producer and consumer (laughs) to ensure data contract compliance. Number 10, we need to be able to take consumer requests and translate those to producers, as well as give guidance to producers about effective, you know, cost or otherwise level of effectiveness, ways of meeting those requests, such as including a user ID might seem easy to a consumer, but it could be a very expensive for producers in their standard way of calling user ID that they don't own that or something like that. How can we put a prescriptive way in front of data producers to make it easy to meet requests and what requests might be coming down the pipe? Number 11, potentially controversial, Pull requests are way better than requirements gathering. A consumer can show exactly what they want and a producer can either approve or deny, but it also starts from a better conversation of 
what are you actually trying to do? Why are you pulling this in this way instead of just give me this and you know, you're talking past each other. Number 12, teams need to figure out coordination and communication in a decentralized data modeling world. That is the federated aspect of data mesh. If it's all decentralized, nothing works with each other, and you end up with garbage data at the organizational level, despite domains having well-modeled data for themselves. So you have to think about that coordination communication from an overarching standpoint. Uh, Number 13, and this one I do think is controversial. Schemata believes there needs to be a core data domain for data that links most other domains. So personal note, while rare, well, not rare in data mesh, you know, this kind of concept of a core data domain, a core domain can become a bottleneck in itself and may not give you the flexibility required. Adavinta is using a core domain and they talk about this, uh, Xavier Gumaro Rogol talks about this on episode 40 and how they're leveraging a, a core domain in depth. Number 14, it's very, very valuable to provide automated feedback via your platform to people considering creating a new data asset, not even that it's already been created, and whether that will become a data product or not, including how well it fits in the organization's data landscape. Are you creating something that can be actually leveraged for other use cases? Does it integrate well with existing data assets or products? That kind of immediate feedback before actually putting in a ton of the work is really helpful. Number 15, it's crucial to have something that gets all the parameters of a data contract on paper. Think about negotiating an agreement with a vendor again. Is it all just verbal or are you starting from something concrete and working from there? Have your platform provide the basic parameters of a data contract that people can then adjust. Number 16, far too often the first conversation a data producer has with their consumer is once something breaks for the consumer. These silent or stealth data consumers create expectations without ever telling the producers. That causes many, many issues. And number 17, schema should be immutable. The only way to change your schema is by creating a new version. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Ananth Pakel Durai here, who is the author of the Data Engineering Weekly um, newsletter that is very, very widely circulated. It's been around for quite a while. Um, And he's also the creator of the open source um, schemata, which is something that uh, we're going to get into as we're going to be talking about kind of everybody's either favorite or least favorite topic in data right now of data contracts. Um, But that I I think Anand has a really good approach to thinking about this and that it's not, even though Schemata is around this, this kind of problem and it's a, you know, a tool obviously um, that we have to get better about making this actually not something where we just try and outsource it to a tool and that we have 
um, kind of the human interaction and that we have this as well as part of the workflows, right? That this isn't yet another pane of glass that we have to go to and yet another observability or monitoring or whatever, where we have to look in these 15 different places, that this is something that can be part of the actual software engineering process around data instead of yet another data engineering tool that is focused on the tool itself instead of what it enables. So very excited to, to have somebody that's uh, in my same, uh, like is basically singing my song on this. So, um, but before we jump into that, uh, Anant, do you mind uh, giving people a little bit of background on yourself and then we can jump into the conversation at hand? Great. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me here. Uh, great to meet you all. Um, so as I said, uh, I'm Anand. Um, I'm, uh, as Scott mentioned, I'm author of Data Engineering Weekly, which is a hobby project I picked up like a, a little over a year back, and uh, it's been going pretty great so far for me. Um, and I'm also the author of um, uh, the Open Source Data Contract Framework uh, Schemata, which is a decentralized data modeling uh, uh, tool to bring domain-driven ownership uh, into our data pipelining side. Uh, previously, worked on companies like Slack and Zendesk, kind of worked on a bunch of data infrastructure, project, data infrastructure and monitoring and observability platforms. So uh, all the things that I'm kind of sharing in Data Engineering Weekly or my motivation behind writing Schemata is essentially uh, out of collective experience working in these companies. Yeah, and... and- and I ran across Schemata and asked you like a, a while back about it just because I was like, hey, I think this is something you you were like, this was a frustration. So I just open sourced this because it wasn't even I don't think you were planning on on making it this this huge thing. But the more that I put it in front of people, the more people are like, yes, this is this is helping me. This is is useful. So I'm happy because it's also an open source tool. So I don't have to be like and pay for you know that, yeah. that type of thing. So. I think a good place to start with is around that, like, why did you keep create Schemata? What was missing around this data contracts? Like, what are you actually trying to do when you think about a data contract? What was it that you think, like, that there needs to be? And, and I know one thing I've talked about as well is that there's kind of this nagging feeling when anybody's talking about data contracts of we still haven't nailed on exactly all of the things that we need with it, but there's still a lot of things that were just basic blocking and tackling basics that are, uh, that need to be handled. So I'd love to kind of hear where you thought there was just a big missing kind of thing around the basics. And then like, what, what created you to do this and what have you learned from actually interacting with, with a lot of people? Right. I think throughout my experience with Slack and Zendesk, I'm, I'm, Neither full-fledged data analyst or a full-fledged product engineer. I was in the nice middle um, layer where I kind of able to see the overall end-to-end uh, data journey, like how it is originated, how are you going to ingest the data, how are you going to structure it, what it means to have a data modeling, and what are the model, data modeling techniques and how analysts are using that. Right. So when I looked into this end-to-end data journey, uh, all the way from a data creation to make it actually working, one key piece that I found out, which is significantly missing, is the the product engineers who work on that, who actually has a domain understanding what it really means to have this. Let's say you're building a billing system. They exactly know what, what is each and every individual uh, domain and entity mean and how it is interacting uh, and so on. Now, often I notice that is 
analytical analytic itself it's always an afterthought uh, why it means an afterthought is that let's say a product manager launching a product feature and they will come up with like you know okay hey these are the things that we wanted to track and the analysis has to go and learn the domain to understand and then try to create some uh, analytical insight on top of it there is a huge back and forth conversation happening you know the human to human conversation right it says like analysis say like you know hey i want this field uh, let's say let's say for example user logging like you know you have user id and your user id and i i seen something like you know there's a user id and somebody's um logging anonymously and then just developer sent the uh session id in the user id and that like everything is broke right like for them it's like this is not this is like an id that it just wanted to pass on they don't understand the business context behind what is what is analysis wanted to do that so there is like a lot of back and forth conversation which actually cause of many analytical projects to be delay or the correctness is missing and when i was in this middle layer it's the often the conversation gone via me and i started to see both the side like you know there's it's like nobody's fault you know that i strongly believe like no human will come and say like you know i'm going to deliberately send a session id instead of user id and i make the analysis people miserable life right it's just like a lack of understanding and lack, lack of collaboration and i feel like that's where the schemata comes in you know systematically how can we enforce uh, certain rules for you know it's it's collaborative platform for them to engage and understand in a very meaningful way and a very productive way to do that so that's a that's a prime uh, motivation for me to write this particular tool and when you think about what are the problem sets like uh, uh, i think it kind of evolves in a lot of different ways like there's the the um data producers they are having to evolve their schema for their application, right? Their application needs to evolve. Um, I, Dan Demers was on, on on an early episode, and he was talking about um, when you think about the the brain. You know, if it if it doesn't learn new things, if it doesn't evolve, it starts to wither. And it's right. kind of the same thing with your application. If if you're not changing it, it's you know it's not interacting with people, or you're not doing your job. And so, right. like. Are you thinking of this as a tool that is facing the uh, producers so that it, it solves that problem of, I know what this is going to break? Is it for the consumers to be able to say, hey, I'm not going to consume from this because I know it's broken. <laughs> it's, I know it's it's broken. It's, it's uh, contractual things around the schema. Is it that collaborative space in the middle to increase the actual communication flow and get people on the same page and and kind of get people into the the aspect of what are we actually trying to do here so i'm not just passing you columns i'm passing you information or like how do you think of it it fitting into those different problem sets and how do you think about what are the ways that people would leverage this to hit all of those right so that it's not that the the data consumer can say, I can trust this and can understand what's coming. And the data producer goes, I know what people are actually consuming and why. And, you know, but like your tool can't, you know, a tool can't uh, replace all of human communication as well. So like, how does it fit into that flow? How are you seeing people use it? Right. I think the way I would look at the data contract platform, at least the schemata where I'm kind of envisioning, um, it's more like a two-sided marketplace. Like if you take an Amazon, 
as 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 a as a uh, as a e-commerce platform here there is a set of producers who actually wanted to sell something so they had to list out they had to list out like all the details here and there is a consumer who wanted to buy certain product and somewhere in the middle what the features like uh, the Amazon Prime does that is like okay if you order this Amazon Prime since you're paid for it I'm going to deliver it faster and then I, I can be sure my delivery time is much faster right like or or whatever the assurance time that I have, it's coming along, along with the way. So there has to be an engagement platform where producer come along and say like, you know, hey, this is what I have. And this, this is what I'm going to publish it. And consumer and to say that, okay, no, 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 I want this, this, this also along with that. Or how about producing this part of it? So that is a way for you to programmatically, you know, uh, express what is your expectation and what is the actual inventory that you have that what you can offer along with that and what schemata does that underlying is what amazon prime does that right it it it, it runs through the validation it makes sure that uh it you know it align with that expectation uh what the producers can deliver uh and those expectation matches in this case so um and Doing along the line, um, you know, I know we talked about like in a, providing the incentives. Uh, in a typical architectural pattern, we always kind of talk about the stick and carrot approach. Right? There is, there's a certain part of the system that um, allow or encourage people to educate and then properly use it and create some incentive for them to do that. And there is certain piece of an infrastructure where say like you know, oh, okay, if you are if you don't have this kind of if you don't have this kind of criteria being enabled, I'm not going to commit the job code for you, or I'm going to give an, you know feedback quickly to say that you know, hey, this is violating X and Y set rules, for example, right? Um, and this has been adopted pretty widely in in the software engineering principle. Um, or simple example is smoke testing, right? Like if you have a smoke test and you are just committing the code, and the smoke test runs and the smoke test fails, you can't apply the code into the production. Uh, you know, it's kind of a stick approach that says like, you know, hey, this is a minimum, uh, you know, minimum bar that you have to follow to in order for your application to get into the production environment. Uh, so the exact same concept being borrowed in Schemata essentially says like, we encourage, we will give you like the whole uh, holistic view of what is what is the schema and domain looks like. And also along with the way, what is a minimum data validation that needs to be done in order for you to kind of evolve evolve the uh, schema approach. So that's why. How is that registered within Schemata? Is it that the consumers say, this is what we want to consume and I'm registering it with that, you know, so that because when you have testing, if if you have validation criteria, it actually has to have criteria, right? So how, how does that criteria get created? We've The reason why I'm, I'm digging specifically on this too is, I've seen some people talking about consumer-driven testing, and I kind of hate consumer-driven testing versus consumer-driven, um, you know, uh, criteria. Because if the consumers have to write all the tests, there's going to be things that they don't really understand potentially about this. Or if they're downstream of downstream, then that upstream can break, and it's processing you know, the, the information that goes into the table that they're actually consuming from or whatever it hasn't broken because, you know, it doesn't really realize that it's it's broken in that. So what they're actually consuming is garbage data, but the actual, you know, schema itself is not broken. And so therefore it is still technically valid for them. So like, how does that flow? And 
why did you want to build it that way? Like what, what, what did you see was missing that you were saying the way people are doing this doesn't work? Right. So there is two ways to do that. Like, you know, uh, the consumer driven testing is one part. The way I look at it is like, um, or like in terms of the schema, there is like a two part of validation. One is one is a structural validation and then the behavioral validation, right? Structural validation versus what is the schema look like? What is the structure of something look like? Is it a backward compatible, not backward compatible? Is it strongly typed? Does it have um, you know, ownership and like other additional metadata associated with that? These are like a structural validation. And then there's a behavioral validation deep behind the line. It's like, okay, is that is that the underlying data behave? such a way the structure is kind of adopted. So there is there's largely a two part of the contract essentially. And in terms of the 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 consumer driven testing, the one of the important nature of the data pipeline, what I observed is the producer of the data doesn't fully understand how the consumer is going to use the data. It's completely different from a request response model where you build a microservice and you are creating an update user, or like you know, you just create a screwed operation end of the day. Like all transactions is kind of crude operation, right? If you if you get a user ID and if you're calling a create user, the producer know exactly there is a user ID going to be user entity going to be generated in this particular table, and this is a reaction towards that one. Whereas the data pipeline, the producer emitting is an outer focus. They just contributing to the larger pool of entities. And the consumer has a much broader understanding of, okay, um, I got this user and I'm going to connect to the product. And the product can be, be emitted by a different domain completely or different developer completely. So developer, the way developer pursue the data is not the same as the producer perceive the data. That is completely different from the request response model. Uh, and that's why... Uh, that's why it's very important for us to kind of shift left uh, to bring the producer to understand what is a consumer is uh, looking at it and also bring the consumer closer to that. And, you know, there is an expressive way to tell the producer what I'm going to use for, this is what I'm using for, this is my expectation going to be looked like. So you have a better context sharing between the producer and consumer which is not the norm in a typical microservices world. So, I mean, you're even saying that this is different from even the microservices that we need to get even more context and we need to drive more towards that. Um, when you're thinking about that kind of flow of information back and forth, how have you seen that actually work, right? Or is it that, because what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of is, does the consumer say, this is what I want, producer, please provide it for me? Or does the producer kind of say, here's my, you know, I've got my data on the inside. This is stuff that I'm pretty sure nobody wants. I've got my data on the outside. This is stuff I'm advertising. I could form into something. And then I've got my data on the threshold of like, I don't know, like, is this something people want? And I'm not going to put it into a product just to figure out if you want it. But is it that the consumers know what they want and they come and they say, this is what I'm trying. And are, I feel like the way that that has, has gone really badly in data is consumers saying, I want this column. I want this, this, inf I want this data instead of, I want this information. Here's what I'm trying to achieve. What information do you have that can help me achieve that? And that 
both are, are kind of collaborating around the art of the possible. How have you seen that actually go well? Or, or maybe what have you seen historically that just makes it so that this becomes way more frustrating and challenging than it needs to be? Right, right. I completely agree. Like, because the this is what I want, essentially, you know, prescriptive way of telling, like, this is how you should model it. But you, as a consumer, you have no understanding how that can be possible or not possible in the in the producing side of it. For example, if I if let's say let's take an example of user ID, like a user entity, and you have a user ID, and you want a username along with that, um, and the producer may not produce a user username because it might be another database call for them to look up a user ID for the username. And that is much more complicated for them in, in some cases that we've seen that all the time. When we wanted to create this denormalized view of people to emulate, and the producer always consume complaining that and say, like, you know, hey, you know what, this is very expensive for us because they might use DynamoDB, which is like not a very, you know, you cannot write some filtered query that is kind of very expensive scan for them to do that. So many, so many nuances are associated with that. So and how can we solve this problem? And we take an inspiration inspiration from the things that are already working in the software development, right? Which is which is the GitHub flow. GitHub flow essentially say that if I wanted to implement some module, I write a code and I propose a change and say, like, you know, hey, I created this pull request. Let tell me is it good or bad? And this is a requirement I kind of wanted that. This is my implementation look like. Is it good or bad? And you can add your commands and you can shape the idea forward and then you eventually come to this and merging this one. Um, I think what we are building in Schemata is essentially the same. The collaboration uh, the, in terms of the code and expressing an idea, getting the feedback uh, in a very non-opinionated way is already kind of adopted in GitHub-based uh, workflow. So what we are building on top of it is like, you know, the workflow on top of GitHub to understand, hey, you want a username, suggest a username flow, and then we will do underground work and then propose the changes to the respective producer. And the producer can say like, you know, hey, you know what? I know you wanted a username, but we can, how about model this way? And then they can propose a different way. And then that window arrived in, in this case aside. So, uh, that essentially what we are going after. Uh, it's the, it is it is a place for us to create the conversation in a very structured way, and I you know and the platform take care of evolving in a backward compatible manner. Yeah, and I think that this is where I've talked a little bit about the concept of like a data Sherpa and things like this, which in a fully decentralized world we don't have these people that have to understand all of the context and have to understand, but I think then we can overly decentralize, right? I think we can, we have this idea that um, somebody can just go and find the context instead of find the data. And a lot of what you're talking about is having that collaborative discussion, having that space where you can say, is this what you want? Is this what you want? And then, um, so Andrew Jones, when he came on uh, a while back, I, 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 he's kind of backed off a little bit about this, but I actually really liked one thing he said, which was, um, if anybody requests a change, it automatically creates a meeting. 
It it does not, you cannot request a change without a meeting to actually discuss. And there are certain times where you go, we can skip the meeting because we just, you know, we need this to be at two decimal places and, and you've got it at one. Can you please just update this to two decimal places? And it's like, okay, great. Right. Like it's, it's, it's uh monetary. And so we needed it to two instead of one or something like that. But so much of this is about this making the implicit explicit and like exactly what you're talking about. Like when you're, when you're actually seeing how people are looking at implementing or, or when they're requesting features and things like this, are you finding that the, a lot of the people requesting features are getting it or are they still trying to sit in that old world of, I want the tool to handle everything and I want everything to just be black or white one or zero instead of what does this actually mean? What are we trying to accomplish? Like, are you finding that, that people are, are getting it in a lot of senses or that people are ready for this or. Yeah, they do actually. That's kind of very surprised to me. Um, it's like, so a lot of people reach out to me or actually having this problem or thinking of implementing something similar to this or have something implemented in a very you know bespoke manner, not like a full flesh of what Schemata is kind of doing that one. And the problem space is very, very, um, uh, very prominent in the small and medium SMP sections. Like if you're a small company, if you're hiring like a one data engineer, probably you'll find, you know, you just... You're just going, you know, you'll be fine with that thing. But like the moment like the company's grown like 200 plus engineers or like 150 plus engineers, and this is where a lot of collaboration layer been added on top of it. And then, and building those so many other other uh, nuances that bringing in. You know, decentralized data modeling is the future. There is no backup, you know. We, like, I, I strongly believe, I, I don't know whether Schemata will succeed or not. But a schemata-like tool will succeed, and that's a way of working. I, I strongly believe in that. The reason why I'm saying that is just ask around how many companies have this role called data architect. There is no data architect in place in many, many companies that join with that one, formally or informally. There's no data architecture meeting at all happening. Right? So there has to be some way you have to data model it but if you are putting a data architecture role, then you are going with this bottleneck of like it has to go through this approval process. This is some some you know someone in the head that kind of magically thinking and then go to the whiteboard and say like this is the company schema going to be look like. That's impossible with this modern stage. And then like there is no literally no one like we are in this whole information. Exploder, like you know, the, the the amount of tools that we are using, the amount of SaaS product that we are using is pretty high, and the amount of data that we are generating is so vast. It's literally impossible for one human to hold everything on their head, even if it is possible. It's it's inhumanly thing, right? So we had to some way figure it out, decentralized data modeling moving forward to get bring more than. Otherwise, we'll keep in this garbage in garbage out model. Now, in terms of going back to this meeting, this is what we are trying to solve in Schemata without a little bit of an automated and an opinionated view. You see in Schemata, there is a two broader classification. You know, we have a very opinionated way of defining your schema. You can define the schema either as an entity or an event. 
and we say that okay entity it is mutable in nature and it represents some domain object for you events capture the core business uh, activity it's immutable in nature right? and then we also introducing a special domain called core domain every company has like if you take as endesk as an example the core domain you can say like a user ticket or um, you know um, account because it's an account based business um, the account essentially the customers right customers is, is another core entity so we have a very opinionated uh, domain modeling which is a core domain and what we do in the schemata we systematically calculate if you are defining a new entity or an event how well connected to the core entity so our our theory is that you don't need to put a lot of effort to build this whole data modeling because you can always add new fields you can extend that you can backfill that we have like sophisticated orchestration engines are coming in and trying to build those things what what is significantly important when you have a decentralized data modeling is that data is inherently social in nature if you don't properly interlink your domain modeling and if two domains is not properly linked there is no way we can bring different perspective or analytical insights out of it so we failed completely there so we systematically calculate how well each and every domain entities or events well connected with the core entity and we, we when in, in the pull request comes itself we calculate the score and give them immediate feedback and say like you know hey it seems like your new domain that you are proposing is not well connected to the core dimension are you sure do you wanted to double check that one i think if we get that part the connectivity part is pretty good we can always extend uh, the schema so that's that's a theory that we are going after essentially well and i think kind of what you're talking about aligns with something um, Tim Tischler had said in his episode and, and a couple other folks have kind of poked at a little bit, which is there's a lot of things that could be handled by the tool. If we try and hand everything over to the tool, it's that you're, you're screwed, right? You're just yeah. going to lose because there is information, right? It's kind of, you know, I saw somebody um, posted a thing about, um, you know, uh, how long does it take if, if it takes four minutes to boil an egg, how long does it take to, to boil five minutes? And they asked chat GPT that, and, you know, or, you know, my sister was half my age when I was six and I'm now 70. How old is she? And it said she was 73 instead of she was 67 because she's three years younger than, you know, and all these, these different things. If we're trying to just let the, the tool do too much instead of the actual information communication, we're we're heading down a bad path, but there there are a lot of things that we can define, right? That we can't that that we can bifurcate those, and that a big big problem is that we try to hand everything off to the tool, or we say no tool can do everything, therefore we shouldn't have any tool in place. And it's like both of those are <laughs> are stupid, <Yeah. laughs> way too far right, on right. one side or the other. Instead of like, how do we like? when we were talking in the pre-call, you were talking about like, how do we make this part of a comp like 
and you know, schemata is just a way to do this. I, you know, I'm I'm not saying uh, to all the guests out there that this is the the tool that has to be the the thing. But I like your approach because I think you know, the, and had Abe Gong from Great Expectations and similar. Although I was kind of horrified when he said that there were. Um, people that would just create these contracts without the producer ever knowing about it. And that, right. that just horrifies me because it's like, well, they don't even know that they've entered into a contract. So that's not a contract, but like, how do you, how do you think about getting an organization from where, where most of them are now? And I know everybody's kind of across the spectrum, but like, how do we get this into their, workflows how do we think about this as as even a blameless process of hey you want to change your application i get that i have to allow that if even if it's going to break things downstream if you truly need it but if you don't need to make this change please don't make this change because <laughs> if it's just like a little thing where you're like i'm just dropping this column because i don't need it anymore it's like well that's really crucial to some people downstream like making it easier for the developers to care because if they don't know what's going to break then they either have to make their changes or not make their changes and they have to make their changes because that's their job They're, So like, how are you seeing that communication actually move forward? How are you seeing companies move from where they are from kind of this chaos to kind of less chaos? I know you're not solving absolutely everything for everybody, but like, how are they moving towards that? Yeah, exactly. So I think you raised a very interesting point there, essentially like, the more and more automation that we tool, I think one thing that we have to be keep in mind, data creation is a human in the loop problem. It is not an autonomous problem, right? You know, if you if you wanted to create an autonomous data creation, you just put the Google Analytics link and then you just capture all the link clicks and then you're done with that, right? Uh, it's just like a link tracking. It's not a data creation. Um, so I completely agree that it has to be a collaboration platform. And on top of this whole how do we enable this workflow? You know, how do we, if if I'm a data leader, how I'm going to introduce this workflow, convince others? I think this is when um, we started to work a little deeper on that. Essentially, one of the bigger inspiration for me to build the schemata, the layer on top of it is Sneak. Uh, Sneak is the security vulnerability checking tool that, you know, you can just kind of simply connect to a GitHub and then it scan the GitHub repo and then identify the vulnerable code uh, and one thing that Sneak does really, really well, and I see in this organization dynamics how it's easier. You see, security team is also the same boat of the data team. Essentially, yeah, security like like you say, like you know, you when when things are going bad, then only company will look for data. Same like when the security breach happened, then only people will say like, oh, security is important for us. This is a top priority for us, right? Uh, there's a very little rare companies are saying security is a feature, not, not something that out of the box, right? So um, what Sneak does that is enabling the security team to champion and then enable the security as part of the workflow. They capture those all those security vulnerabilities from GitHub repo and then they map to the ownership, which is the team or the managers associated with that. They build this whole organizational hierarchy and then say like, you know, hey, you know what? You have this kind of security vulnerability. This team has this kind of security vulnerability. And 
that makes the security teams negotiated get an organization buy in say like you know okay hey let's have an organization goal that says like we will down our security vulnerabilities less than 2 less than 3 or whatever the number it is now all of a sudden you are not breaching the importance of security you are providing a meaningful objective and and a meaningful way for the team to measure it whether they are successful or not lot of things a lot of times organizational miss you know misalignment happens is a lack of understanding and and the clear way path to success you know the data team if the data team wanted this whole shift left uh, model for the developers team to take an example for that they had to provide more and more understanding like you know how the consumer going to use this data and how significant your data is used across other entities and is there anything that you are missing and what is what are the two three steps that you can take in order to fix it so there has to be a very clear way to express uh, in order for them to align yeah i was just talking with somebody um last week and we were talking about um you know they put in some observability tooling and all of a sudden you know all of these problems lit up but then they had all of these problems and they had no way to prioritize what are actually problems and and what what are like long ongoing problems that are just kind of you know kind of if you think about the human body or whatever it's like yeah you know uh sometimes my my feet hurt so it's not that huge of a deal versus like oh i can i can't walk right now cuz my lower back is killing me right like what what actually matters and that the the observability tooling can't be nearly as as uh, uh you know as smart especially at the start about what that is and i think something like a collaborative tooling can let consumers you know if if you're registering your use case if everybody registers as a 5 out of 5 on importance level then yeah okay you know nothing's important if everything's important right if nobody owns security if everybody owns security nobody owns security if everybody owns data quality nobody owns data quality but like right how are you seeing this advance those conversations because exactly what you said of like measuring against what are we actually trying to do here and that you know i know that this is a thing with requirements gathering where people say i'm going to requirement stuff because i'm not sure exactly am i going to need which of these seven requirements is going to be the most important i don't know so i'm going to say all of them are tier 1 priority and then i get something that's not good because all of what i've been thinking about has changed and moved versus that collaboration of this is what we're building here's where we are and that that kind of process so how are you seeing that communication like first off do companies alexa west like when she was on talked about this a lot of people know they're having pain but they have no idea where the pain is coming from or what could be causing it so like right, right. are you seeing that be a, a thing that's that's that people really know that that where their pain is or are you even having to when they're when they're poking at this they're starting to say oh i didn't even know i had this pain or oh yes i knew where this i knew i had this pain but i didn't know exactly what was causing it like how are you thinking about that aspect yeah right i think that that's an interesting point right like i think the same way like you know every company wants to do data they wanted to be data driven but except that you know uh they really don't know right like i mean 
same like the security domain aspect of it is that i think what is important what is not important is essentially defined from the domain ownership and and what is what is getting delivered for example let's say i develop an ar as like if you wanted to implement a data contract initially just take one one example like like i wanted to compute an ar like the consequence of not not having an ar on time or not having a wrong number it's a significant impact and you can now assign a domain ownership and define your contract and like what is what it mean for us to deliver it and then you can identify who are the main who are the main uh, upstream producer who actually do that i think just just to use this tools like schemata to kind of express that as a starting point is a kind of bootstrapping point and then constantly measuring that particular aspect that itself is kind of creating uh, people to come to this uh, the uh, what do you call the the negotiation table or i call it is because often time if when i started to play like an architect role one of the bigger hurdle for me is to say go to a go to a vp of engineering of some product team and i say like you know hey we want this this data to become because of this is an important aspect that we are breaking in here the 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 result or the, the response always oh, okay we'll put it in our backlog because we have shown other things to do that so the the moment we started to put those organizational level hierarchy and say like you know hey this is this is the key metrics that we are delivering and these are the things that you have to improve here and this is how your systematic score going to look like and all of a sudden you are going coming to this meeting with bunch of other vps nobody want to come and say like you know i don't care about security or i don't come care about data right it creates some kind of a good social dynamics that help them to kind of fulfill uh, the need what it do that one um yeah what well, one thing that i hate that most people don't seem to think is a problem so i have no idea if i'm crazy or not but is the we talked about it a little bit we've we've kind of touched on it but the idea of somebody coming along and just saying oh this thing already exists i'm going to start consuming from it without ever talking to the producer and saying here is what i'm trying to do here's why like let's let's have that context exchange and i get it right it, it is a little bit of that marketplace thing of i don't ever have to get in contact with the seller versus but like sarita baxt when she was on she you know oh, yeah. she's at jp morgan chase right and so they they don't have much you know there's so many aspects of a data product that is not available when you go and you look at it right there might be some information about it there might be you know here are are the um here's the the general way that the the data looks and things like that but no i'm not going to give you access to emails just cuz you decide you want to come here so i need to know what you're actually doing and then i might open up and give you much more data. So are you seeing that people are are actually using this to have the conversation and talk about what are the reasonable SLAs? Oh, I actually need this with a a much higher accuracy rate, but 
your timeliness is five minutes. I need it on a daily basis. So like maybe you create a second data product for me, or maybe like we, we should talk about what, what my needs are and why, or, you know, somebody says I need it in real time and you go, what does real time mean to you? And you're like, well, I don't like the 48 hour cycle of the, of getting it into the data warehouse. And it's like, that's not real time. <laughs> real time is measured in milliseconds, not in minutes, not in hours. So like, are you seeing that people are still creating the same problems for themselves? Are you create? Do you think that that is an actual problem, or do you think that's a downstream, like a, a, a kind of champagne problem, right? Of hey, it would be really nice if everybody actually did have this conversation, but until we actually get like things into a not on fire state, let's not talk yeah. about that that aspect yeah. of it. Right, right, right. Totally. I think. Um, Yes, most of the time right now, the conversation is happening after something is broke and the producer getting it as a surprise. Uh, you know, one of the things that I was kind of mentioning, right, the way the consumer is going to see that of the data is completely different from the data producer. And also expanding that one, the way the consumer is going to see the same data, like a two different consumer see the same data in a two different way. Uh, what I mean by is that, Let's say I have a user activity and I wanted to develop a machine learning model. For my machine learning model, the geography location might be much more important for um, you know some values. Whereas some machine learning model, what is my average customer value might be very important. I don't really care about the geography information. All can be presented in the same table, but different consumer view in a very different way. Uh, so yes, exactly. This is this is happening. People just people the consumer consuming the data because just data is exist because there is no data contract in place like there is no concept of a contract or a validations in place to be fair i don't mind like when the 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 changes that we are kind of moving moving in the schemata side of it is like we don't really mind if you are autonomously coming and consuming the data as long as you are uh, your expectation is like you are you are inheriting the existing contract in terms of the behavioral and structural. And if you are inheriting that you are inherently uh, adhered to all your model is kind of depends on that existing contract, you are totally fine. The moment you wanted to change something or you wanted to propose that, even if it's okay, even like things are under the fire, you wanted to kind of propose it back because not everyone can know upfront everything, right? There's sort of set of unknowns, unknowns. They can figure it out later. And that is when you as a consumer uh, started to come into your own contractual term to tell your expectation to the producer and say like, you know, this is the way that I'm going to use that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I absolutely hate the idea of inheriting the, even the existing contract. I know that you have to have that simply because, but like, when I'm thinking about even like versioning, right? I don't know. Like, are you able to say this is a data source and here's what I'm consuming from it and that it's smart enough to know that system. So when I think about, okay, I'm going to do a version and I'm going to do a, a change and I've actually found out that this column that I'm dropping, nobody's actually consuming that column. So I can, or I'm, I'm dropping this column and you know what? I've got six consumers and they've kind of quote unquote registered and five of them aren't using that column. So I can just auto increment them to the next version, right? I don't, I'm not 
I think you're you, like, that's a, um, a very much down the road thing of, of, you know, whatever we were talking about this a little bit, even on LinkedIn today of, uh, you know, wh- where do catalogs need to go? And like, they're just kind of this passive thing that, that needs to get much more active about it. But like, is that something where you you're seeing demand or are people like, again, I need to, to fix my, my broken leg before I, I uh, start to treat the, you know, the little bit of uh, discoloration on my, my hand or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. I think the way kind of, we are kind of trying to approach is like, we are trying to remove the concept of deletion itself. Like there is, there is no deletion. Um, and if you are modifying the column, uh, column name or anything, it will be a new column, not not necessarily your X is changing. Like so, your schema is is immutable, and it versioned. So you can advance a version without deleting any column, uh, in the sense. But you can deprecate a column only after you get a consensus from the consumer. So that's why, like you know, if you have an explicit contract in that particular column then you have to get a consensus from the consumer and then say like, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to change this field from maybe, um, you know, email to user underscore email. Uh, but the email as a field will not get deleted. Email will be marked as a deprecated. You can still consume the email for a certain time before you switch over to email underscore, you know, user or user underscore email, for example. So that email will be marked as a deprecated and then go, along the way throughout the life cycle. Um, The challenge of approaching a branching model is like the versioning as a branch rather than, um, you know, have one version which is inherently backward compatible way that what I'm describing about uh, not allowing them deletion is that the branching model, like, you know, you, you create like, okay, email is a version one and there's another set of, schema that has like user underscore email without email, how many branches that you can maintain, which is like way, way complicated to maintain uh, to that one. And it's way, way confusing to do that one. So going back to the same analogy of a GitHub, you you take a branch, but it always has to merge to your uh, main branch. The main branch itself is version capable going back to different, different versions rather than having a separate, separate version for each and every schema. Uh, I believe that create more and more confusion than the solve problem it intended to solve. Yeah, I wish I wish source systems had an immutable schema reference where you'd almost have a schema, you know, metadata lake or whatever, and it goes, "Hey, like when this this happened, this is the the current schema version." And so, especially with like things that have like slow evolving schema and things like that on the database side, that it would make it so that people could go, "Hey, this broke." Yeah, it's because this thing had like let's match up the timelines. Oh, okay, like boom, I e- I pretty much immediately figured out what what caused it. But um, right. are you so like? I, I'd love to to jump into like what have we learned from software engineering? But I also still want to kind of circle back on this because when you're when a company, I mean say somebody's looking to uh, bring in schemata into their company, it's probably the data team that's doing it. So they understand that they've got a problem and things like that. But like how much of, of the work that you're seeing is consumer driven versus producer driven. Right. And, and like, I think that can tie into the, what have we, what can we learn from the software engineering side? Because like, 
who owns the API contract on the software engineering side, on the microservices side. Presumably, monitoring if I've broken my contract is the producer side. It's not the consumers going, hey, I'm consuming from this. And every time I'm consuming from it, I have to test if it's broken, right? You, you probably might, you might want to have that anti-corruption layer or whatever you want to think there. But you also, presumably, the, the like you said, the smoke test and all of that, like I'm still trying to figure out are we still too early to have that question of who should the burden be on or, or like, and, and maybe not even the burden, but like the, the conversation of, of creating new assets versus this already exists and things like that. But like, what can we learn from software engineering, especially around how this can work at scale? Because I think when we think about decentralization, we can think about everything gets disconnected and exactly what you were talking about of like, testing the, the connectivity and kind of building the capability of a knowledge graph and saying, Hey, we think this thing actually lines up. Does it line up? Like let's bring that. But like, you know, I, I guess I'm not even coming to an exact question, but would love to just kind of get your thoughts around kind of all of that mess of, of issues that are kind of all converging around the same thing. Yeah, totally. I think one of the things that we need to kind of learn, like I think the significant pattern from what worked in software engineering and how it is kind of turned over the period. I remember I mentioned about the core dimension, right? Like like core domain. Uh, let's keep that in, in this, right? And I'll come back and tie it up like why the core domain play a major role here. You know, when the whole DevOps movement started, like the move is like, okay, <clears throat> developer test, developer deploy, and then developer manage the whole infrastructure. And, you know, that is the conversation that we are having right now in this whole data contract place, right? The data producers owns the data quality and all sort of a thing. To my opinion, that is a wrong, a wrong approach, in my opinion. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the DevOps movement slowly drifted into a platform engineering. So every company, like if you wanted to deploy something in AWS or, you know, um, Kubernetes, you have this nice cloud engineering team or a platform engineering team. They build this whole layer on top of it. And then they safeguard, you know, if you deploy this one, um, uh, these are the deployment file going to look like, and these are the things that you have to define. You are going to deploy some microservices. You have to have your owner name. You have to have your SLA associated with that. You have to register your service level objective for that. So all sort of a thing that you have to register in, in microservices and the platform runs it verify that and then give them the immediate feedback and say like you know prom alert or anything comes in back and say like you know hey you know what your sla is missing and this system is failing and they also provide like a fault tolerance like if you're designing your system in a very stateless way it doesn't matter even one node goes away we can automatically auto scale up and down and some things I think that is what we need to bring into this whole data team and the data contract conversation. Essentially, the way I kind of envisioning it here is like, um, if you wanted to publish metrics and if you wanted to request the metric, uh, if you wanted to publish some data entities uh, and the consumer wanted to do that one, come to my platform, define the so common contract and the data platform the inherently kind of make sure that it is backward compatible. It makes sure that it verify that. It makes sure that it give the feedback loop back to the producer and say like, you know, hey, you know what? This is what is failing and can I fix it? And, you know, this is a whole productivity problem uh, rather than um, rather than like kind of uh, approaching it as some kind of a, 
you know blame game like you know you responsible for that you are not responsible. if if you are introducing such kind of a workflow and if it is not enabling the both the data producer and consumer more productive uh into their work it's bound to fail so the way i'm like the inspiration that we can draw from that is like take a look at cloud engineering take a look at how the observability engineering works uh you know the platform engineering works and then think data contract as a platform engineering and your job is to make uh, the two sided place to make more productive and and i just started investigating this yesterday about just thinking really about reliability engineering and data and that you know uh, that term has kind of become a thing or only around data quality. And it's like, oh no, we so need, like SREs aren't, you know, aren't only focused on one little aspect of things. SREs are there to actually, you know, and SREs are different in most organizations than the data platform or than the platform team, right? The platform engineering team are about building the tooling to do things. And the SREs are helping when (laughs) there are incidents and issues and things like that. And going into all of those, I think it's uh, a really important aspect that, that we really haven't, um, delved into much. And, and I just, you know, I started looking at what people are actually calling data reliability engineering, and it's just all data quality only. And it's like, no, we really need to think about like, how does this all work together? And, and you know, when a data incidents happens, okay, we've said that the developers now own the, you know, I worked in, in an SRE team. I was embedded in an SRE team as, you know, I was the cloud cost manager, but I was still embedded in that team. So I was helping on incidents and things like that. And um, you know, the, uh, in a DevOps thing, like, yes, the developers are owning the operations, but when there's a problem, it's not that it's such a contained problem that nobody else gets involved. You have the SREs come in and help and they're there to fix like what, what happened here in the future and things like that. But we don't have that concept around data about the bigger picture too of, Hey, you know, it's it, like when we, start to to think about domains owning all of this stuff. We have to give them all the capabilities, but we also have to give them the backup, right? Of, hey, this thing broke and you don't understand why it broke. Like we're going to bring somebody in that's going to help you actually figure out what happened and, and what what's not, they're not going to own it. They're not going to own fixing it. They're going to help you. They're going to direct you. But like we don't have that setup. And a lot of what you're talking about as well is and I think this is this is the problem with data is that people think of data as a one or a zero. So it's like you have to be done. Like the second you start to say, we're going to make this shift, it has to happen. And it's already ha- instead of like we're in a transitory state and things are going to kind of be murky and kind of like it's going to be a mess while we're while we're doing it. But that's OK. We're heading in a better direction. We're already doing better things. And I, I feel like this is the type of like, again, coming back to the tool if you have a, it as a collaboration platform instead of a one or a zero, did the contract, is the contract violated versus like, hey, we're looking at making this change. Like, what is this going to mean for others? Hey, we're trying to figure out like, you know, I'm a consumer. I'm trying to figure out how well is this domain connected with this domain? Can I think right. of the art of the possible? Like what's there? Like, oh, wow. Right. Okay. This, this, these two things, it says that they're connected in this way. Oh, it's simply because they use the same uh, you know, column title or whatever, let's actually mark that out that they're not, or yes, they are super connected. And this is really amazing. And I've, I've learned something amazing about our, our organization and having that kind of art of the possible thing as well, where it's not like, 
everything has to be fully baked, you can start to look at like the recipe book and you can look at the, what are potential flavor combinations that nobody's really using. But you know, like when somebody makes like pistachio ice cream and you're like pistachio ice cream, that sounds weird. And then you have it and you're like, oh, wow, this is actually kind of interesting and pretty good. So yeah, again, me just kind of going off on a tangent, but I, I, a lot of what you're saying just kind of circles back to that. Like we need to get into a better space so that we can drive significant extra value. And this, like you're heading, you're trying to, to, to helpfully hold people's hands as they're moving along that path instead of just say, you're either here or you're not. Yeah, exactly. I think, I, I feel like we are moving to this path. Uh, I know, irrespective of all those a modern data stack, like, you know, there's like a different opinion, like, you know, post-modern data, modern data stacks and all sort of a thing. And I, my description of modern data stack, like somebody kind of liked in LinkedIn, like I just got a notification that kind of reminds me. It's like, you know, I kind of mentioned like, you know, modern data stack is a set of vendor tool that solves some itchy data problems like lineage, orchestration and quality with the side effect of creating a disjointed data workflow that makes data folks' lives more complicated. As an industry, Last five or three, four years, what we have done with this whole modern data stack movement, you know, uh, depends upon what is mean by modern. But what we really try to solve, we try to solve the niche problem of like a data quality and, you know, orchestration engine, data lineage and data discovery systems as an independent entity. Um, because the economic of surplus um, like the, the VC funding and the economics kind of allowed us to do solve those problem in an independent way and it's there's nothing wrong with that I think it's it's the right approach in my opinion at the given that point of a time because we moved mm-hmm. from like a full on-premise to full cloud environment and then you have to re you know write those data quality tools and then uh, and things like that. And this is what is going to happen. Like next 10 years also, we'll be rewriting the whole data quality, data observability tools again and again. But we are in a stage right now, like we solve those individual pieces together. I think the next set of tools, like tools like Schemata will come in place and say like, okay, we solve this individual problem, puzzles here and there. Now, what it means to build this data platform, what it means to create the data, what it means to, you know, create a data asset for that, you know, uh, and what it means to, what what is data means to an organization, how to enable this organizational dynamics to better enable them to build, uh, you know, more, uh, like, you know, envisioning their um, data assets, right? I think there will be more tools will come in that place, uh, tying, either tying, together or reinventing certain pieces. Uh, I think that's where the industry moving in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, uh, Schmack has, has talked about this a lot where she's like, data mesh doesn't solve your data challenges. It creates new ones and it makes it so, but like that, that we're being upfront about that. Like that's part of this podcast. Like the reason is people think that, oh, okay, you've got this data mesh podcast. It's going to be selling. And then they come up they listen to an episode and they go, you didn't sell data mesh at all. You told me that this is going to create this challenge and this is how somebody is addressing it. But you're telling me that this is just, and it's like, yes, obviously. Like that's that's the way like adults think about these problems. It's not that this just is going to create the thing. So exactly what you're talking about, that disjointed um, workflow and, and uh, you know, as well, I think the way that 
tools integrate and they have to integrate on this super, super one-to-one level instead of like having, you know, the HTTP or OSI model or whatever, where things can just inherently connect to each other and you don't have to rebuild absolutely everything on that one-to-one basis. I think so much of where we're, we're headed has to be that, but I worry that that's not what's happened in data historically. So are we going to get the funding to do that? Are we going to get people being bold enough to go and head down these paths of, hey, we need to take on multiple of these problems? You know, I mean, Jamac with, with Data Mesh, if there are four pillars. If anybody just tries to do one pillar, they're screwed, right? Like if you just try and do data as a product thinking, it creates all these other issues because you're not, you know, if you don't have the platform to actually support that, or if you don't have the the idea around what you're doing with governance, then you're just creating, you're just feature factoring around data, which is kind of what a lot of people have been doing in data science and things like that, right? There's all these things that, that if you don't have it, the view of it being interconnected and that the challenges are interconnected and just trying to address one challenge is not going to to help the other is, I think it's really important. So glad you're bringing that up. And I think it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to go down. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there's a different way to look at it. Like, for example, like any tools that we wanted to adopt and if it is requires an organizational buy-in to get those tools, it never get adopted. You know, like there, it's, it's very hard to get an, um, it is very hard to get a permission uh, you know, to get everything to be aligned and then go through this whole procurement, it'll take a year to do that one. And you need to have a, someone like, you know, like a chief data officer, highly influential person, has some leverage with the, you know, with the, with the, with their budget. You need that kind of a person not to kind of implement that kind of a model. I think what we are going after the schemata side of it, that's why I kind of mentioning the hope, why the core domain is very interesting. Core domain is still within the realm of the data engineering team. It's a standalone entity for you to deliver. Even now in many organizations, the core dimensional model always developed by the core uh, the core data team, uh, the, the data platform team, or they call it as data modeling and architecture or a data platform team. They build those core entities that has been used across multiple uh, organization to build on their own uh, on top of it. So that's why we kind of define these core entities like some of core domain and kind of as a special domain and model our tools around that. It's a very good initial wedge for us to go to minimize the surface. And from then on that you can, exp- because you already have this building blocks available, then you can go on, expand that more and more uh, universe on top of it. Um, I feel like that's a, that's a key for uh, the adoption. We, we, I mean, there's like an, there is always an early, we are in a stage where the early adopters will adopt this kind of a model, but we also kind of enable the early adopters to minimize the surface space. If you put them in a place where you have to get an organizational consensus to implement certain things, I don't think that never going to happen uh, in this case. And, and I think that's even in data mesh implementations and things like that, that the companies that are doing it right are containing that blast radius. Um, the Vanya Seth, who's going to be on um, relatively soon, was talking about uh, kind of that concept too. And we, we had a, a, a chat because it's exactly what you're talking about of, you know, I, I just did a recording of um, 
when should you reorganize around data mesh? And a lot of people are like, you have to completely reorganize your company to at the start to do data mesh. And it's like, oh no, like that's that's so much like capital that you've just like literally money and time and but like also like political capital and all of that because you know that stuff isn't free. And so, you know, and you're just gonna cause chaos and there's not an immediate, you know, kind of seeing a value. So I I agree with you that that I, I think that's really useful. And, and, um, Ben Stansel has been talking about this too, on some of his Friday night data fight stuff around like how he hates Slack because Slack is so interruptive and it's, it's this thing instead of like, it doesn't create, it creates this sense of urgency that that shouldn't exist. And there's no way to prioritize. There's no way to say like, this is important or anything like that. Like, I mean, even I think somebody creating a Slack bot that says like, how important is this message? And somebody can click through and go, okay, this is a, a, a five alarm priority of when I, you know, when I go in to check it and here's something that's like, Hey, here's a long-term thing that I just want to save and kind of do that, you know, where, especially in a channel, you, I guess somebody could pin it, but then if everybody's pinning the thing that they need to look at in the long run, it just creates yet another mess. So, I, I, like, I, yeah, I, I posted some response on the data folks master. Like I have a lot of disagreement, maybe like, this is something, right? Like the way, I mean, you've been joined with the Slack as a very early stage. So the way Slack uses Slack is completely different from other companies using Slack. So whenever people are telling about these things, like, really, this is how you are using it? I like, so um, So I have a different take on what, what is about Slack. It's like, I don't, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I don't agree with that. <laughs> but I understand, like, the ways of working has have evolved to what their communication tools are, right? The ways of working around email like evolved in such a way where email is not, uh, you know, to me, the most effective way in a lot of, you know, times to communicate. And so I think what you're talking about, though, is, is important that you can't just completely change everything. So if you can minimize the amount until you start to have proof points and then you can expand out really does help whether it's it's a tool that that you love or <laughs> or not you know? yeah I, I feel like slack is a tool that like for, I, I gave an example in, in data data fox master essentially like you know, it's like if you are building a too many you know if you're building a too many private channel which means that you have a series of closeness as a cultural problem in your organization it's not a slack fault that you have to do. So you have to, so you have to use a tool in a right, you know, in a, in a way that kind of like the tool, the way you are going to use a tool is a reflection of underlying your culture being defined. And if you have, if you have an urge to, if you, if your company's default expecting you to answer is quickly from Slack, then that's not the way that you use Slack essentially, right? Uh, and then if you wanted to follow some thread, that you are not participating, then you are not trusting people who are having a very interesting conversation, like or a very uh, meaningful conversation in the thread. Then you have an urgency to say, like you know, they might discussing or they might go on a wrong path. I want to be the in that thread uh, for them to guide. So this, it's a reflection of your own thought, and it's uh, my opinion is like it's not Slack fault that it's openly exposed that. So it's not like tool that you fix it. You have to think through your culture and you have to look inward and say like, you know, hey, if somebody wanted your opinion in your thread, they will definitely find you. So don't worry about following the thread. And if you, you can still follow the thread, 
uh, if you're not participating, just click on, on top of it and like follow this thread, you will get a notification and do that one. So just rest easy, let people to do that, trust people. That's all about. <laughs> right. But but I mean, the, I think the point is still like that we need to have, we need to be able to not have a thing that completely changes the way everybody works in, if we're going to have it be successful, especially around data, because every, hard shifts in data create uh, a lot of friction for a lot of folks. So I think you, you made that point. And I think that's, that's really useful. So um We've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to, or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode? Yeah, I think that that's pretty much it is. Like, I think, uh, as you know, like, subscribe to Data Engineering Weekly if you wanted to get updated on weekly news, and I share a lot of opinions on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, watch out for Schemata. Uh, we're building some cool stuff on top of it. And then a lot of interesting feedback I got from people that not only the possibility of introducing Schemata, but, like, what how can we extend that into a, like a holistic platform? So it's kind of a very exciting space. So we are just navigating the unknown. Um, so uh, if you wanted to try it out, uh, reach out to us. Yeah, where, where is the best place for people to follow up? And you know, you gave some ideas about what to follow up about, but is there anything specific that you'd like people to, you know, kind of that call to action of, <laughs> you know, somebody's like sitting at home and saying, should I reach out or not? Like, what 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 is the thing that should get them to, to really do that? Is it that you want to exchange information about like what problems they're having with data contracts or is there anything specific? Yeah, so any, anything you have, like, you know, I mean, even like next week I have, some person reached out to me and I'm like, hey, can you help me to revisit the whole uh, data modeling framework? And I know you talked about like functional data blueprint in a data pipeline. We are using a third normal form, how that is kind of fitting into this one. Um, you know, anything with the data uh, that I can help with, uh, you know, there's someone reached out to me and like, you know, hey, we're doing this startup. Can you, um, you know, can we look at our architecture of data, how they're using it? You know, any, any means of data, I love to hear it and understand that and then, share my thoughts on that uh and for now data engineering weekly is, is a good place to you know get up to date on like what we are thinking on uh and what is moving on uh most of the things and we also have a schemata labs uh um medium uh, blog post that i share some of the um, channels there and also like a schema and, and then a schemata in the github it's a good place so that i can share all the links yeah, I'll, I'll drop the links at the top of the show notes. So if anybody wants to follow up, they, they've got that pretty quickly. So, well, again, Anant, this has been really great. Thank you so much for spending the time. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Anant Pakaldurai, who is the author of Data Engineering Weekly, the newsletter, and the creator of Schemata. You can find a link to his LinkedIn, the Data Engineering Weekly newsletter, and Skamata in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. 
our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.